0: CFE Research Podcast, a podcast that aims to showcase the practitioner inquiry, scholarship and research being carried out within further education. Drama has just always been the lens. Before
1: I understood what those big words like methodology and ontology and epistemology meant, I understood that drama is my lens in terms of that's how I make sense of the world and that's how I've helped students make sense about the world or say something about the world that we live in.
0: Hello and welcome to FE Research Podcast. My name is Joe Fletcher Saxon, and my partner in Grime is
2: it's Alistair Smith. Hello, Joe. How are you?
0: I'm okay, but I almost couldn't say my own name then. Um, it's hot. It's hot now. I mean, not just in this Zoom room, but the weather. The weather is warm. Good. It's good. Um, what have you been up to, Alistair?
2: I'm um, not too much exciting. Just uh, wrangling the puppy that we've mentioned before. That's been ah. good fun.
0: Okay. Do You mean that you've not been preparing very diligently your abstract for the IPFREC conference in Sunderland in July?
2: That's a tomorrow <laughs> job.
0: Ah, uh, okay. Okay. So, for people who don't know what IPFREC is, can you do, do you know? Do you know what it stands for? I do. <laughs> Come on. It's the yeah, International... International
2: Practice Research. Oh, no,
0: practice uh, focused. Practice,
2: but practice focused research and education uh, conference, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it
0: is. Yeah, it is. So I think a number of our cohort might be might be heading there, and um, it's open for ab- abstracts. I think into well into June, isn't it? If people fancy that. Okay, so um, tonight then with with us, we have. And we've waited ages. In fact, this person with us tonight. Do you remember? Alcohol's a bit of a theme on this podcast. <laughs> We'd had a few, 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 few sherbets. And uh, I, I think then she felt like bold enough to say she'd come on the, the podcast and we were in Oxford. Do you remember? You yeah, I think remember.
2: it was it was returning favours as well, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. So she's here. So we have, it's Beth Curtis. She is a drama teacher and a teacher educator. She's in the final throes of her PhD, swiftly approaching that Viva experience um so welcome to the podcast Beth how are you hi Joe. hi
1: Alice yeah I'm I'm good I'm also hot um yeah I'm kind of sort of winding down for the end of term but also obviously not able to do that at all because all I can think about is the upcoming uh viva that you mentioned there but yeah it's exciting times but I'm well thank you
0: yeah, I mean I was sometimes I was always look at other people's vivas in other countries. Some of them are in public, aren't they? Did you know that? I Can you imagine? imagine?
1: <laughs> no, I absolutely can't. How absolutely terrifying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we have to cow our blessings. Right, look, I'm going to um, pass over to Alistair to ask you the first few questions and then I'll finish off with a few more. Okay.
2: Okay, let's get stuck straight in. So Joe gave you the the quick brief intro there, but tell us a bit about your role. Um, Because I know just before we started speaking, you you said you you pick out, you identify yourself as that drama teacher. But of course, there's more than just that to it. So tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I think I'm a drama teacher by trade and I'll always feel like a drama teacher. I've been uh, teaching drama in a large uh, further education college in the southwest of England um, since... Before 2008 and taught across uh, a range of kind of vocational and academic provision, uh, but kind of found my home settled in um, within the world of A-level drama. And taught that for um, over 10, 12 years. And then more recently have made a little sidestep still within the college that I work into teacher education. So I'm now working across the um, PGCE um, course, post compulsory education course that we run there. Uh, But in my bones, in my bones, I'm a creative, I'm a drama, I'm a drama teacher. And so my research um, started its life when I was teaching um, um, drama, working with young people in the drama classroom and studio. And that's, that's kind of, oh, I'm passionate about lots of things, but but, but this particular research uh, is focused on the lived experiences of drama students and teachers within the further education sector.
2: Brilliant. So straight nice leading to the next question. How did you even get going in that kind of pathway? What, what set you off on that path and journey into PhD and study and research?
1: Well like both of you and like I know lots of uh, my colleagues that you've also had on on the, the fantastic podcast um I will be eternally grateful f- to <laughs> to the sunset PRP practitioner research program um and actually have you you've had James tarling on haven't you in the past so Jay, so Jay I used to work with James and James was when I was an AP um James was kind of my line manager and at a time where I feel that I'd been teaching for a while I'd come back I my both my kids I'd come back from maternity was kind of looking for a bit of extra challenge James just said to me one day oh about I've done this I've done this brilliant research thing you should do it and I think initially I just felt the kind of terror that I think lots of people particularly within FE context feel about that term research like me a researcher I'm just a drama teacher um but James managed to twist my arm, and I put a stuck an application in, and I joined the um, MA short course practitioner research program, um, and managed to drag along a colleague uh, from uh, he's a he's a media and film teacher, uh, my colleague Will, and so we did a, a, a joint project for that MA short course, and you know I just got the bug, I just got the research bug, and I just. Felt So empowered in a way that I hadn't felt as a teacher for such a long time um, to, in this knowledge that I could be, you know, I was a researcher um, and that I could inquire into my own practice. Um, and that was just so liberating and came at a time when I really needed it and it just kind of reinvigorated everything about my practice and my understanding of my identity um, as a teacher I'll talk about that a little bit later so part of my research part of my journeying through the research has been trying to work out who what my identity is and I've come up with a little kind of Venn diagram of teacher researcher playwright so I refer to myself as TRP in my in my thesis and it really is that kind of growing my with myself I think in this intersection of my different identities that you know, and probably now I'd, I'd throw in teacher educator as well, and how they kind of come in and out of focus um, at different points in you know in in my working life. So I yeah, so I started on the sunset program. I did the MA short course. I was just just in in too deep <laughs> to back out. And so when the opportunity came um, to to transfer onto the MPhil, I did that, and then was fortunate enough to. Um, be supported by uh, trish Spedding to to go for transfer to phd and now here i find myself and I, I honestly if you'd asked me five years ago if i'd be here today i'd just it was it was just not part of the plan not that i had a plan but i just didn't think that it would have been possible for me uh, and so i'm incredibly grateful and have got to meet so many fantastic people like your wonderful selves along the way um, so it's been a fantastic journey
2: Right. So you said you said you started with the MA and, and doing the MA short and then and and pick things up. I'm guessing, similar to our journeys and, and a few others that have spoken on here, that your focus has shifted along that time with your research. Yeah. So I'm interested in kind of where you started with it and, and where it's it's moved to now as you're kind of getting towards the end. Yeah. I
1: think one of the um strengths of the program is that they kind of they take you as you are calm as you turn up in that hotel in seaburn (laughs) the seafront like I did not knowing what I was letting myself in for and they really kind of hold your hand the team through that first bit um which I really needed because it had been a long time since I'd done any kind of academic study and I knew nothing really about about research but I also think it kind of set me off on a path which I needed initially but as you say I've kind of veered away from quite a lot as I've as I've developed my own understanding um, of, particularly of methodology, I think. Um, And so I started off thinking I was doing a piece of action research. um, And as a drama teacher, I wanted to look at kind of practical, pedagogical uh, ways to support my students to um, make more effective links between theory and practice in the drama classroom, particularly in terms of how they coped with the written exam. So within A-level drama, it's a kind of, there's obviously lots of practical, but there's a big, whacking, um, great exam. And lots of students find that really challenging. And so I started off doing some exploration around community of inquiry, um, Matty Lippman's philosophy for children, the development of oracy. In my head, I was thinking if I could get them to practice you know, being more confident and critical in the kind of classroom talk that that might then translate to the writing, and so that's kind of where I started. I quite quickly realised that actually, it, it, an intervention wasn't what <laughs> wasn't going to do the trick. And and as as much as I learned from that and and they, those little. Um, kind of community inquiry, seminar sessions I ran with students were really were really great. Um, and I learned a lot from doing them. I actually realized what I really wanted to research was this much bigger kind of thorny dichotomy, which is theory, practice, um, mm-hmm. and all of those kind of dualisms we quite often find within um, the kind of not so much teaching and learning, but particularly assessment of creative subjects. And Alistair, you probably experienced this as well. Um, And quite often the way I felt that, you know, there was a a big gap between the way in which I wanted to teach and the way in which I felt the students learn best um, within the context of drama education. And then how they were assessed, which just seemed completely at odds with everything I understand about teaching and learning. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that then became um, that then became the focus of my research. Um, and instead of trying to kind of find a solution, I have just sought to, um, kind of illuminate lived experience, um, particularly from the perspective of students, because I think their voices are often, um, you know, neglected in these conversations.
2: Have you, have you kind of got an anticipation of, of what difference that might make, um, to anything going forward, or is it just a, it's there to be seen
1: so I think obviously when I started um this it was pre-covid and obviously like our life you know life's changed quite a lot hasn't it um and uh, but in saying that I also although you know it's been a really tough time for the arts um kind of coming out of of covid and the arts are still in a real um you know place of precarity um but At the same time, there's a lot of different people, different organisations, kind of lobbying and applying pressure again to reassert the importance of the arts within education. And so, kind of quite fortuitously, I found myself in this place where I feel like my thesis has quite a lot of different audiences. So, um, you know, there's a lot of work being done around assessment in general. So, Edge Foundation. rethinking assessment movement pearson did a big report um you know looking at the fact that the, the, the you know the methods and models of assessment that are being used not just within fe but broadly within um the education system just aren't meeting the needs of students they're quite often not able um to do justice to um you know that broad kind of uh, the skills and the knowledge um that students have and that um you know, I think there's a real move against written examination as the gold standard of of you know of how we measure uh, knowledge. So it's so that's quite exciting. <laughs> so yeah. it feels like, it feels like it's kind of come to fruition um, at at quite a pertinent time within the kind of political and educational landscape.
2: I think a bit of serendipity and timing and everything seems to have played a part all the way through that story, right from yeah. the, the beginning of James suggesting doing the, the course right through to this stage. So that's a, a, a common theme there, isn't it? Okay. Well, thanks for that. I'll pass you over to Jo. I know she's got some more questions for you as well, Beth. So
0: yeah, over to good. you, Jo. So it's interesting. You just ended there by saying writing not being the only gold standard for being assessed. And actually your thesis is not just straightforward <laughs> written narrative text is it or whatever Just tell us a bit about what makes your uh, your approach and your how you've presented your thesis quite quite unique
1: so again i think in covid um i i kind of lost my way a little bit with it obviously everything felt kind of mad we were teaching online and about that time i started reading more widely um And getting into kind of post-qualitative, I mean, I say post-humanist, human but I really don't know enough about it to talk with any authority, but started to read the works of Jasmine Ulmer, Laurel Richardson, um, Elizabeth St-Pierre, and it just kind of blew my mind. (laughs) And I think particular um, Jasmine Ulmer's work on slow ontology, reading that, in COVID just kind of really helped me to understand that it was okay, you know, the all of the, the kind of messiness of the journey and the pauses weren't, you know, I didn't have to see this as an obstacle. I should see it as a breathing space, as a positive, a time to really kind of immerse myself and absorb what I'd done so far and, and think. And at that point, I read um I read a book by Mirka Koro, um Called reconceptualizing qualitative research. And it really was a kind of hinge point in my my research journey, and particularly in my understanding of how I wanted to work with, and I do data like you do, Joe, because it feels like data, Um, you know, because I really want to break down that kind of subject-object divide or any kind of notion of hierarchies or power within how we work. With data as researchers, so I very much see my work as kind of coming alongside those narratives and lived experiences of the the participants um, or the people who have who gifted me their stories. Um. So. So at that point, so so Mika Koro talks in her book about, she she refers to Derrida's concept of tragic pains and this feeling of just of. Ah, this just isn't working for me. And, and that is how I, I was just struggling because I was at that point. I collected this data and I'd collected it using you know traditional qualitative methods of research interview or research conversation, as I prefer to say. Um, and then I was trying to go about this, you know, the process of beginning to analyze the data and I just couldn't do it. I did some digital transcription and it just felt inauthentic. I felt like I wasn't doing justice to the lived experience of the participants. It felt very uncreative to me. And, and, and I read, so Mokikora talks about, yeah, Derrida's tragic pains. And then she talks about what the data wants. And I just said, ah, hang on a minute. It's like a light bulb went off. Ah, what does the data want here? Let me listen to what the data is asking of me. Oh, surprise, surprise. The data wants to be worked with creatively. Um, and it's really interesting because talking to my kind of colleagues and peers who are drama teachers or playwrights or creatives, they're like, yeah, of course, of course, that's completely obvious. You're a drama teacher. Why wouldn't you write your data into a play? And then as I started to uh, do more research, obviously, there is, um, you know, there's a growing body of um, of post-foundational scholarship across the world of people who are doing similar practices and and i kind of began to understand writing as a practice of inquiry and in my thesis i I talk about writing as in r r sorry w r i t i n g writing and writing like a playwright with a g h t because the etymology of the word playwright comes from wheelwright and that idea that you make something, you construct something. So I see my writing as having this dual identity of, of, yes, writing, and that's very much part of how I inquire and how I construct knowledge, but also writing in a more kind of practical and physical sense. And I just felt this overwhelming need to make something that I couldn't, if I just wrote it down, I would almost be being hypocritical to what everybody, all these people I'd spoken to had said about the importance of embodiment, the importance of the relationship between theory and practice and being able to apply theory in a performative context. And I just thought, if I just write this up in a kind of standard PhD format, I'm not I'm not honoring the lived experiences of the participants or myself as a drama teacher. And so I just started. And initially I thought, Oh, I just write some little vignettes that I might put within the thesis. And then it just kind of snowballed. And before I knew it, I'd written this whole play. Um, and I had to, I had some, not not battles at all, because he's been nothing but supportive. But we've had some robust conversations, me and my supervisor, about what this would look like, because obviously you have to satisfy the requirements of, you know, the academic requirements of the PhD. But I've kind of been pushing back all the time with like, yeah, but yeah, but yeah. but And so I really wanted the play to be to be a kind of an artifact in its own right. And you talked earlier about when we were chatting to be, to begin with about this concept of creator. And so Eva Bendix Peterson talks about an ethnographic play as being creator. So it's almost like a kind of embodied data artifact. So in the kind of construction of the play, data becomes creator. So my hand as the researcher um, is kind of, is just is woven in with with that data. And and again, then like when we were in Oxford, when you then put that in front of an audience, that kind of iterative like hermeneutical spiraling of interpretation just carries on because then there's more data and creator (laughs) to work with. And that's how I understand, that's how I understand like theater. And so I think that's why it makes sense to me so I don't see like ontology and epistemology, those big, big words as separate things. I see them, you know, there isn't a separation between knowing and being just like there isn't a separation between theory and practice. And so I was like, well, why does there have to be a kind of separation between the play and the academic thesis? And so I have managed and I'm incredibly grateful to Gary for supporting me with this. We've been, we managed to um to get permission for the play not to just be an appendix at the back so I've it's been printed as a it's a physical thing that's gone to the examiners as a separate artifact because so much of the what was illuminated through the research conversations was the the importance of embodiment um within teaching and learning um in drama education and so I really felt that the play needed to be read in a very tangible form and so halfway through my thesis so the first kind of three chapters are fairly standard and then and then there's like an, i've called it an interlude where where i invite the the reader the examiners to step outside the boundaries of the formal thesis to read the play and then you go forward you go back to the thesis because i just felt i can't chop it up it has to be it provides context for them what follows. So I was really influenced, I talked about, sorry, I'm just t- talking, I'm just carrying on, is this all right? <laughs> I talked earlier about Laurel Richardson and her concept of CAP, ethnography, creative analytic practice, um, has also been really pivotal for me because she talks about, I love it, the dinosaur, any kind of dinosaurian belief that you can separate or you should separate creativity and, and analysis. And and I felt like that. So when I had these chats with Gary about having to have a findings chapter and a discussion chapter, I was saying it, yeah, but't but the play is the thing, like Hamlet says, the play is the thing. It is the data, but it's also and the findings, if you want to call it that, but it's also the discussion, the way in which it's been constructed, the um physical and visual um, motifs ideas representations that are my interpretation of the data make the play yes the piece of its, it's creator um so it is simultaneously the findings the discussion the just does that make sense
0: it, it absolutely does <laughs> and my mind is on fire and I can't i am just this is music to my ears and th- this sort of makes sense in terms of why my supervisor, who is the same supervisor, <laughs> has said about needing this extra thing after methodology that I need to maybe look at and start to create. Mm. So, yeah. Um. Oh my goodness! I, if that is any indication of what you're going to be like in your viva.
1: gosh! I get excited, I get excited about. It. But I, I think, <laughs> I think what I've learned is obviously we you know we know research is messy, but I also have really learned, you know, how much you, it sounds silly, but how much you can own it as well. And I think it is, it's not to throw, you know, it's not to say that there isn't value in what's come before. I really, you know, value all of that work and scholarship that's come before, but also recognize that it's good to push boundaries as well. And that we don't just have to accept what's come before and and this is the way to do it. Um, and and i think for me i just come back to that thing about what does the data want and and I've, that has kind of fired me on in the in the really tricky moments where we've tried to kind of wrestle with how this will work um it, you know had and the irony is there's so much um relationship between what the students and teachers have said to me in the research and then my own struggle so trying to make something creative measurable <laughs> um And so there's been this kind of synchronicity between my research journey and that that I've kind of been researching. So I think drama. Drama has just always been the lens before I understood what those big words like methodology and ontology and epistemology meant. I understood that drama is my lens in terms of that's how I make sense of the world. And that's how I've helped students make sense about the world or say something about the world that we live in. And so that's just what I come back to and have come back to all the way through. It's like the thing that grounds me when I find I'm struggling, I go and I read a play or I read what a director's written about it. And and that's just how I've, that is how I've made sense of this whole mad journey.
0: (laughs) And your play helps um, non-subject specialists um, understand your research. We both had the pleasure of sort of uh, reading for you haven't we or performing a, a small small piece of it so i understood so much from just doing that that i don't think i would have done if i'd just read a very traditional academic you know version. There's
1: that, yeah there's certainly something there about um about the accessibility of um, performance writing or scripts, dramatic works as a form of dissemination um, and the ability to reach um, lots of different types of audiences. There's obviously also lots of ethical tensions around that as well, which is maybe too big a thing to talk about now. But you know, I think it is worth saying that. I've called the title of my thesis is um, a kind of a, re- a dramatic representation, and I bracket re there. And it really is, it's about more than the ethics, kind of again, runs all the way through it in that kind of the way a sensitivity and a respect for the narratives and lived experiences of people who've shared their stories with me um, and trying to represent them. Um, in the most authentic way possible. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because the data, that people don't always say what you want them to say. Um, and that, that's that been interesting when you're writing it into a script and trying to balance, um, you know, entertainment, because obviously theatre is there. It should have an aesthetic and entertainment value, but also when you're, when it's ethnographic or, you know, now working with people's stories, you can't fabricate. <laughs> so
0: that's been interesting to navigate as well. Mm. Uh, oh i've got the bracketed re as well for representing okay. yeah, i have yeah particularly the post-human boxes there i think oh, yeah. that, that's yeah. quite read, yeah, the, the way and Tracy article
1: but where they talk about that No,
0: don't know why am i doing it where did i i don't even can't even now remember who it was definitely some of the post-human literature that mm. that, that, that had driven me to do yeah. that um well okay what was i going to ask you then something about oh you see it's gone now it's gone now I've got a big <laughs> you say so you say so much that's relevant to me I'm sort of writing notes and uh, <laughs> uh, uh trying to concentrate at the same time it's quite difficult um right um what oh I know what I was gonna ask you right so in terms of how this will look, you've got your uh, introduction chapter, you've got your literature, you've got your methodology, then we veer off into the play and then do we come back and there's still the kind of traditional, um, is, there a, is there a findings and discussion thing or because so, the play's doing that, how does that
1: work? So probably unsurprisingly, so I'm not calling my chapters chapters their acts. So I have a prologue. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a prologue and then I have or act so i have that yeah that kind of contextualization of the research the literature um the methodology which is quite extensive and probably i've realized this is the thing i'm really interested in i probably could write a whole thesis just about methodology which i never thought i'd say at the beginning because i didn't understand it at all (laughs) i still don't understand it but i i just love it um and i just find it so fascinating um and then i have a kind of i have um a little bit of the stuff you have to have like your sampling frames your data method you know that kind of stuff and then yes i go into this i've kind of i talk i created a four-stage process of which is my own creation uh, and which kind of goes some way to explaining my practice as trp as teacher researcher playwright in terms of how i went about analyzing the data um and so so you have that so you have that then you have the interlude where you read the play and then my act five is a big chunky chapter um and that kind of takes you through simultaneously the findings and and the analysis of them i state the findings in kind of you know cons- a concise way in the interlude and then go into discussing them uh in chapter five and i think um, you know, a big significant part of that is the role of other people and collaborating with others as part of the process of ongoing analysis, including your good selves uh, at that conference. But also some of the scenes prior to coming out to Oxford last summer, I worked on some of the scenes with students um, to get them up on their feet. I worked with a couple of peer reviewers, um, a couple of friends who are. Uh, and colleagues who are playwrights who gave me some kind of perspective from a kind of a writerly um place. And And that, I think I was so nice because again, I'm you know, as a dramat, as a creative person, I'm used to working with other people, and I found this quite a lonely journey at points. And so for me, that process in the analysis where I was able to kind of invite other people in, um and also to see, the data creator embodied um was was really amazing as well and just gave me another lens of analysis um as a researcher. And then and, and you can see then how I mean within the scope of the thesis, I had to stop somewhere, but you know, I could see how I could just carry on because you just the more you give it back to an audience or to actors, obviously it changes each time. So those kind of the, the interpretation continues and I I've, I've I see it very much as like I don't I'm not looking I've never been looking for truth with a capital T it, this has always been a process of kind of knowing and unknowing um I, I you know I don't think mm. there's a point I don't feel like the thesis isn't the end of the journey um and the 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 life of the play kind of comes into its so, its own, it has its own existence, its own life outside of the thesis, which is really exciting. And one of the things I love is because because we got the permission to send the thesis, sorry, send the play as a hard copy to the examiners. One of the copies has been all the way carried in my supervisor's rucksack on a plane all the way over to Australia and hand delivered <laughs> to the external examiner. So there's a whole other thing I want to write there about the kind of physical journeying. So this um um Jacques Lacotte, who's a um physical theatre practitioner talks about writing in motion um and I really like that in a kind of metaphorical sense but also I see it very much in this kind of physical sense in the literally the kind of physical journeying of the play
0: um but that's another thesis probably for another day (laughs) oh my goodness such a postdoctoral piece (laughs) right well I I do I do love this because I talk about um like who who has the right to meaning making from a set of what we might call data? Um, traditionally, it would be hidden sort of within, within a thesis, but but like you, I'm making mine public for others to make meaning from. that's what I call it making meaning from. and so yes, this life beyond um, will ripple out and and yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I think the other thing in my mind was um, that that our our supervisor. Wrote something recently that he you know, talks about. Um, he does talk about pushing the boundaries of, of you know what, what what research can be, but particularly in FE, mm. that it doesn't have to be and should not have to be what the world of academia does, you know, itself. <laughs> and and I think that's you know you're a prime example of absolutely pushing those those very boundaries.
1: Well, and I think some to a certain extent, I'm re- you know I'm I'm really grateful. And you both probably feel the same, not to have come through. I suppose a traditional, you know, academic route because I think it's easier to push the boundaries when you don't understand what the rules of
0: the game are. That's <laughs> absolutely true. Yeah, because we and we just think, well, why not? Why yes, can't I? Exactly. I'm used to just doing this. Yes, yeah, exactly. and then just wait for someone to
1: tell me I can't, and then we'll have a we'll have a bit of a battle about it. So I'm quite grateful in in the fact, you know, all for a lot of my uh, naivety. <laughs> on the journey because i think it's allowed me to ask questions in a very supportive environment um you know with colleagues across the sector which i don't know if if would be, if that would be the same if you came yeah. if you came onto a phd a traditional phd program mm-hmm.
0: um so yeah, yeah embrace embrace the messiness i say embrace the messiness that's probably a good um sort of um you know tip for people uh, right i'm going to finish on a a question I have prepared for you <laughs> uh just to round things off so we always like to you know throw a curveball um in in our conversations where we possibly can and yours is it's a little it's a little scenario uh the BBC have been on the phone you know <laughs> that they are they are going to make your play um into a you know filmed piece uh for the nation to to indulge in and um, clearly you will be featuring in this but not You're not not actually yourself, somebody, somebody has got to play Beth Curtis. So who is going to play you?
1: So when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, um, people used to say I looked like Sandra Bullock. I don't know if that's true, but so maybe, maybe we could get Sandra on the phone. I mean, I love, I love Dame Judy, but maybe our ages aren't quite compatible. Who else do I like? I quite like... um,
0: or oh, Saran Jones, is that what she's called? Yes. She's really interesting. Mm. Um, and actually, there's a physical bit of a resemblance there uh, as well. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, anyway, All right, then. So we'll get Sandra and Saran on and we'll get them yes. both to, you know, to audition audition yeah absolutely okay well look thank you so much for your time beth that has been absolutely fascinating inspiring so all the love and good luck um as you go forward to your viva thank
1: you i'll be taking you all with me um it really it really has felt like such a supportive supportive research journey and i really you know there are so many people that have spurred me on in ways that they'll never know, you know, by sharing something on Twitter or a little word of encouragement. And I take all of that with me um, into that river. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank thank you. It's been great to chat this evening.
2: Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to the FE Research Podcast, a Sheep Hill Studio production. Thanks for listening and we hope you can join us again soon.